Enswell Boxing. You're welcome on in. Ireland's Boxing Weekly Podcast on all things amateur, professional, domestic and international. If you'd like to find a link for all the previous episodes on any platform or if you'd just like to keep an eye on our social media, you'll find all of that and more in today's show notes. Welcome on in. And it is privilege and pleasure to be in your ears for this episode, number 165, The Long Good Friday. This week alone went a long way to show the explosion in popularity of boxing around the globe. We had shows in Uzbekistan, in Australia, and shows in the United Arab Emirates. Despite all the previews, all the hopes, all the dreams and expectations, it was Tim Zhu who turned Stormstopper as he faced the full might of the hurricane, Dennis Hogan, as they battled for Australian super welterweight supremacy. And as simplified, Jamal Herring went on Firewatch. The motto was very clear. Improvise, adapt and overcome. As he dispatched our beloved jackal, Carl Frampton, to boot. And if we needed somebody to raise our spirits, somebody to lift our heart, somebody to get us back believing, celebrating, enjoying, who better to call on than the Irish bomber himself, Joe Smith Jr., as he takes on Maxim Vlasov in their rescheduled WBO light heavyweight world title showdown. And your guest, our guest on this episode today, Dublin middleweight Luke Keeler. He knows exactly what it takes, not only to get to that level, but to stay at that level and to fight the very best in the division. He'll talk about all that and a whole lot more as we get on into episode number 165. So, will it be the hurricane or a tornado named Zoo? You know, I've said here over and over and over again that boxing means many things to many different people. For some it's their job. It's how they earn the crust, it's how they provide for their family, it's how they put food on the table. Fighters, coaches, all of the people who work in and around pro boxing, it's what they do. Uh, for the media, they help build a fight, they help promote fighters, they help promote promoters, they help, they help do the selling part of the game, the business that is so vital and so key to all those who earn a living from it. And then the fans... It can mean so many different things, a multitude. For casual fans, it's just something they'll watch every now and then when there's a big fight on. But those of us who, over a number of years, over a lifetime, the sport and its highs and its lows, and the fighters and the people and the characters and the personalities around it, no no two of whom are the same. And to those boxing geeks or some people like to call them hardcore fans but whatever way you want to call it or whatever one of the labels you want to put on it the simple fact is there's there's levels to everything whether it's your job your profession to what you do to your skill to your expertise to the amount of football that you play to the amount of painting that you do to the amount of DIY stuff that you get done around the house or indeed to the level that you support follow absorb and engross yourself in boxing it's a way of life. It's a daily thing. You're checking your phone, you're checking your updates, you're checking information, you're listening to podcasts. Even if I wasn't doing this podcast, I would still be doing that. So, with all of the excitement and with all the hype and with all the build-ups, previews, reviews, hype, excitement, and the euphoria then when a big win comes or when a surprise win, when one of our favourites, when one of our real fighters that we feel like we've, we, we get to know, Boxing can be a distraction 
and it can be distracting at the same time. It brings us joy. As I said, it brings us the euphoria. And we can at times almost feel part of our favourite fighter's journey. We celebrate the highs, we we uh, feel the lows, and, and sometimes, in rare occasions, some, some people may get to know these fellas, to get on a one-to-one with them. And last week, one of my favourite fighters suffered a defeat which brought instant retirement. And the other heartbreak came from Australia. And uh, it hit me hit me like a rabbit punch to the point where I painted the same section of the wall for maybe two hours after the fight in, in, a, in a trance, thinking over and just lost in a haze of thought and, and wondering and all sorts. Now, that's not to overstate. It's not to say I'm depressed. It's not to say that I... I I just want to get that right here and now. But there's, as I said, there's levels to everything that we choose to do in this world. And the level that I support, love and follow boxing, and then it goes up another one again. When you get to the stage where you're on a one-to-one with a fella like Dennis Hogan, where you're speaking with him weeks and, and days before the fight, and, and you can, you're almost living it. Almost living it. And for all intents and purposes, you are living it. Little Tim's turning around, making this... Side of the four, watching, measuring, punching. And I have massive, massive, massive respect and love and admiration for any and all fighters who, who box at any level. Wherever it is, they make that walk. Feel the tight chests and the sweat and the, the anxiety and the nerves as the hands get wrapped. You can hear the hall audience, whether it's a big hall, whether it's an arena, no matter where it is, where you taste that metally taste in your mouth. But you realise after a while that that that's your own blood. It's incredible battle of will, battle of wits, battle of battle of the senses. It's a battle of everything. So when that gets to the top level, it just gets exaggerated to levels that most can't even comprehend. We've had a number of Irish fighters out this year already. All all pretty much successful wins. And without being disrespectful. I'm not being disrespectful, I'm just gonna just gonna call it as it is that last week gone was the first week where we had that real step up taste, the real taste of the elite, the top level fights, where you knew you just knew these these fights were gonna make a they were gonna have an impact wherever it was, whatever the result, whatever the outcome, and, and they did and will. So the build up to Hogan Zoo, it had been respectful but edgy at the same time. And and as the fight drew closer the comments became a little bit more pointed and that edge got a little bit sharper. Team Zoo and Team Hogan went back and forth all the way to the first bell. And um, when that fight started, it started at a blistering pace. And I've thought about it long and hard since. And the question, and and, and the, one of the many anomalies around Tim Zoo, and there's a few, there are a few, and there's still quite a lot of questions. But for all the hype and excitement and fandom that en- envelops him in Australia, he hasn't he hasn't transferred that at any point to across Australia, across Asia, and anywhere near the UK or or the rest of the boxing real world, as I said, Europe or the US. There was no coverage on US TV to the point where myself and I actually had to uh, live WhatsApp call to, to Larry Fryers, my main man there in New York, 
and Larry and myself watched the fight as as I zoomed into it on, on WhatsApp and, and let him watch it that way. There was no coverage in the US. Very little in the European networks. We, for once, had it here on air, which is a massive credit to Barry Fitzgerald. Shout out to him. Shout out to Air Sport. And shout out, of course, to Paul Keegan and the gang at TDP, DDP Promotions, who, who got the wheels turning and got things moving and got the fight on TV. So no US or intercontinental promoter has shown an interest as yet in Tim Zoo. It's unusual. It is very unusual, considering that Dennis Hogan's last two fights were top of the bill on Showtime. PBC fights went all the way across. He filled the Barclays Centre, they filled Monterey. Big, sh- big, big fights, big crowds, big audiences. But regardless of all of that, and regardless of the hype and the build-up and everything else that went, the card was as good, if not better, than anything you've seen on Matchroom this year. Some some tremendous fights. And the one that really jumped off the card was the co-main, the super welterweight battle between Wade Wright and Cohen Mazudier. Back and forth, back and forth. One seriously, seriously tough operator, two seriously tough dudes. One who refused to go down and one who refused to give up. It ended up with a 10th round stoppage win for Wade Wright. Now, now I did take sides. I'm always going to take sides when one of our own is going into battle. And I did. But I think... Any imbalance I showed was certainly put into context and perspective by what we saw and witnessed in Australia in the in the quote-unquote official build-up and launches and media coverage. My point being, there's some tremendous boxing going on in Australia at the moment. There's some great fighters coming through, whether it's Justice Hooney, whether it's Shotgun Shannon O'Connell, who we'll have on here really soon, whether it's Benny Mahoney, we'll also have him on soon, whether it's Drew Hunt, and yes, Tim Zoo himself, Mick Serafa, Another one we'll be chatting with soon. Boxing in Australia is on a it's on a real crescendo. It's on a real wave, and I I hope I really hope not only that Irish fans look a little bit more at it. You can do that on your own, but I think to get it to a level where it really needs to be shown, promoted, and and broadcast to the to the broader boxing world. I would hope somebody like Matrum or someone like that will take an interest, possibly even sign up one of the fighters. And that then in turn will allow it to, to catapult onto the next level. But to Tim Zoo, to Team Zoo, No Limit Boxing, Jen, Glenn Jennings, all that team who put, who have a f- super exciting talent on their hands and they're, they're moving them along very cleverly, very cleverly, very carefully, but very much moving them forward and moving them upwards. Hogan to the body, Dennis Hogan here in Newcastle. He's finding his rhythm. Skids off the shoulder of Zoo, and there's a bit of damage underneath the eye of Tim Zoo from one of those overhands. What happens next for, for uh, Tim? We don't really know. We don't really know. There's a massive offer on the table now, I believe, from a promoter in Australia who wants him to face Michael Zarafa. But I'm not going down that road again. I've done all that. We've been here before. That's, it's not the time for questioning. It's the time for putting a hand up, admitting full props, full credit, and absolute maximum respect to Tim Zhu. The way he, the way he adjusted, adapted, and overcame what Dennis was doing and bringing in those early rounds, it was a credit to him. Does it prove that he's on world level? No, not yet, not for me. Does it prove that he could get there? Absolutely, yes. It answers a whole lot more questions than it had beforehand. And for my man, for my man, I, 
this is something that's rankled with me since and still, still, I don't know what to say, I don't know what to think. But I'm going to try. I'm going to try. I saw enough in those early rounds. Movement, angles, everything. I saw enough to suggest that there is more, that there is more for Dennis Hogan. Absolutely. Where and when and how that happens, I don't know. That's, that is what I don't know. Whatever happens, the decision lies with Dennis himself. He's got a beautiful family. He's got a beautiful new home. He's given an awful lot to boxing. He's had the absolute devastating heartbreak of what happened in Mexico. And just put that into context. If you put it into context, he's climbed that mountain. He's been where Tim Zoo is right now. He's had all of these fights all the way along. Whether it was Jimmy Kelly, whether it was Nanaka, whether it was Jamie Reed, no matter who it was. He worked his way through all of those contenders to get to the level that Tim Zoo is trying to get to now. And then he got to that level and he knocked the guy at the very top of the pile, the world champion. He knocked him off that perch. He didn't get it. There's nobody who's going to doubt his worker ethic. There's nobody who's going to doubt his work rate. But somewhere, somewhere along the line, that has to take a percent. Just something. It has to. For all his mental fortitude and for all his serious mental strength, it does break your heart. It does. And if it didn't, there'd be something wrong. So I don't know what happens next for Dennis Hogan. I hope and pray, if I did pray, that we will see him out again soon. Maybe he's got to get back into winning column. He's got to get a couple of fights under his belt. He's got to get himself back, full of confidence, absolutely flying. And then we'll see what happens. But for me here at Enswell Boxing, and for all the people that have been in touch since... There's big love. There's a lot of love for the honesty and the endeavour of Dennis Hogan. An awful lot. He brings a freshness. He brings he brings something new in a sport that doesn't have a whole lot of new at times. That's what Dennis Hogan is. And we'll be chatting to him. We'll hear from him soon. But for now, mate, stay safe. Mind that family of yours. Mind yourself. Do whatever you got to do. We look forward to hearing from you. Excuse the voice today as well. It's a little bit raspy, a little bit hoarse. Not 100% sure why or where it's come from, but better work with what you got. Before I jump across to the news and what's what in the boxing world, be sure to jump into the notes down below. Have a look for the link for Violent Gentleman. Get over there and check out all they've got. My Goomba Ross has launched that Fight Associated brand under a year ago. And uh, the two of us have been working in cahoots, building both our brands and um, bonding as we go. So... Check out Violent Gentleman there. They've got the shop link in the whole lot. You've got you've got the Lewis Crocker range. You've got the Polly Highland range. You've got the Owen O'Neill range. There's any amount of stuff there. And I'm not just saying this because I have to or anything else because I don't. It is the best out there right now for me. Quality, value, durability, the lot. Go and check out Violent Gentleman. The link, as I said, it's down below in the notes. Get in touch with Ross. This man is on a mission. He's on the move. We've introduced him now to Steve up there in All Things Boxing Northern Ireland. He's moving. He's moving. Let him know I'll put you in touch. He'll hook you up. As regards guests over the next few episodes, brilliant interview a couple of weeks back with the G-Train. Graham McCormack, of course, he was expected to be boxing in America right now, but it didn't come about. It was delayed, so we've held that up a little bit. So I'll have that with you in the next week or so. And another really good interview with a fascinating lady. Truly amazing boxing story of her own. She was Katie Taylor's opponent in that first all-female sanctioned bout in Ireland such a long time ago now. Of course, I'm speaking about Elana Audley, as she was known back then. And I think now it's Elana Nihil. I hope I've pronounced it properly. 
But Alana chatted to me about that fight, about her own boxing career, about life. She's since gone on, she's joined the army. And she coaches, trains and corners her husband, Ches, who is a heavyweight way of distinction. He's won numerous titles of his own. Featured, of course, in the O2 Arena in the UK a few years ago. He's been back doing military service, but he's about to go back in the ring over the next couple of months as well. And Alana gave us a bit of a, that's two interviews coming down the line. And I have another couple of really special ones lined up and organised that I going to get back to what I was doing at the beginning not so much focusing on the week to week fights looking about at some of the retired fighters from the years gone by looking at some of the fighters across the water and down under and just spreading the net a little bit different to make our podcast here what it was at the beginning which was different from all the rest hot on the heels of his devastating and destructive win over Ireland's Dennis Hogan Tim Zhu has had a huge offer thrown on the table with a 7 day expiry date on it there is a boxing promoter in Australia by the name of Brian Aranga. I understand he promotes Michael Zarafa and has his own promotional company. His offer is a 60-40 split of a million dollar purse for Tim Zoo, And remains to be seen whether or not Tim Zoo take up that offer or not. It's a dangerous fight. Very, very dangerous. Zarafa is a seasoned middleweight, fully blown middleweight campaigner. And he carries dangerous power. He's a bigger, more experienced, more travelled, well-versed middleweight time will tell but that's a huge offer in terms of Australian boxing and I know Tim Zhu also harbour lofty ambitions of bringing Brian Castano or possibly even Jamal Charlo down under to fight Timmy boy but um, nobody messes with Al Heyman's plans his, whatever plans he's got in place he will stick to them rigidly and no matter what sort of money is thrown on the table he rarely if ever budges so watch that space see what happens certainly interesting times now there is talk also of, of Jamal Charlo moving up in weight to middleweight so if that happens it'll free up the belts then it makes it an interesting division yet again but it's all changing that super welterweight division lots and lots of uh, movers and riders and all sorts of jockeying for position it's been confirmed as well that my man Jazza Dickens will fight Barry Galahad or Barry Awad or whatever his name is for the IBF featherweight title which of course was formerly held by Josh Warrington it's now been put on the undercard of Canelo and Billy Joe Saunders in Texas. What a fight. What a stage. What a what a, an opportunity for Jazza to fulfil this leg of his destiny. Something that he's thrived and strived and worked towards since he was a kid. And here's a little something. Have a listen to this. To Jazza, good luck winning the featherweight title. You have the skills and determination to take the title. I hope you come to the USA to defend your title. Love from Mike Hills and everyone at Aspen Middle School, Aspen, Colorado. That is unbelievable. This this right here is like a dream come true for me as a child. Yeah, incredible. I I came across that a couple of weeks ago. Jazza was reading out a letter he got from a young supporter in America who hadn't who had recently seen him fight I think and was just drawn to him, as most people are, as I was, and as the Enswell listeners have been don't ever underestimate how important it is for these fighters to get your messages of support and love from them at different times so watch this space we'll be keeping in touch we'll be out reaching out to Jazza as the fight gets closer closer to home White Lightning Eric Donovan has been announced to face Italian Mario Alfano on May 14th in Brescia of Italy he'll fight for the EBU super featherweight title in a huge step up opportunity 
one that no doubt came from his fascinating and fantastic performance in Fight Camp, where he pressured, pushed and pressed Zelfa Barrett all the way. Eric has taken himself back to boxing school. He's now part of the Celtic Warriors setup under the expert tutelage of Packy Collins, learning as it goes, learning all the tricks of the trade and the professional trade. And if you haven't heard or seen the interview with Eric on Off The Ball, have a listen to it. I'll put a link down below for it. Fascinating. And it highlights the absolute vast difference between professional boxing and amateur boxing, even for the likes of Eric. And here's to Eric White Lightning representing Kildare, representing Ireland, representing himself, his family, as he so ably does, and taking home that famous, illustrious blue belt on May 14th. May 14th is the date, Las Vegas is the venue. Josh Taylor, Jose Ramirez aim to unify super lightweight division. The winner, of course, will absolutely secure his place in the Hall of Fame, and then probably more than likely move up and look to do the same again at the next level up but it'll be a fascinating fight with many layers and I believe there could and should be a live crowd there for the fight as America are yet another country to leave Ireland in its wake in terms of Covid recovery still still we sit here in lockdown still we listen to the arguments and still we hear the excuses but it's a little unfair isn't it to ask politicians to do their job I digress And the silly season, the crazy season, the madness continues as we start to see some of the absolute icons of our sport, the legends, the Hall of Fame stars, making comebacks to the ring for what they like to call exhibition matches. Cotto versus Marquez is down for a rematch, would you believe? Oscar De La Hoya has announced he's coming back. And we're going to see Morales Barrera 4. I mean, boxing... Boxing is a fantastic sport, but we really, really do leave ourselves wide open, don't we? Destructive Derry middleweight Conor Coyle will be back in action this weekend after a lengthy layoff. The former Roy Jones Jr. fighter heads to Mexico and he'll face Esteban Villarro. Ultimate Boxing Golden Robe winner Stephen Donnelly says he's going to give it another go. Hopefully, hopefully this time he can he can get it all the ducks in a row and deliver on that phenomenal talent that he possesses. He's out of contract with MTK and currently negotiating apparently with a management outfit. Big UK card this weekend is Matchroom at the Copper Box. Connor Ben tops the card as he's in deep with Samuel Vargas. It's a big test. It'll tell a big tale too. If um It'll show where Connor is at in his development. It'll show has he advanced, has he stepped on. Vargas is no mug. He might be on that other side of his career. But if Ben hasn't taken another step on, hasn't ticked all the boxes, hasn't, just hasn't kept that progress going, he could be in deep water here. So watch out for this one. And as I said, this is an opponent I believe in the future for Lewis Crocker. I think Lewis's advancements and his improvements and his fundamentals are just so far advanced ahead of what he's at. But not for the first time this week we've spoken about famous surnames and famous daddies. The co-main on that card, I don't really want to get into the weeds about it. It's a WBA bantamweight title for between Shannon Courtney and Ebony Bridges. Um, they have a combined total of 12 fights between them. And Matchroom are... <laughs> they're, they're determined, if you want to call that, or desperate some would say, to get a belt for Courtney. So, uh, will she win? I'm not so sure I don't know but enjoy it see what you think watch it if you want uh, Savannah Marshall keeps herself ticking over she keeps the engine well oiled she will go in she'll blow out Maria Lindeberg and she will then no doubt call out and tee up that big fight with Clarissa Shields 
And last but not least, Mark Dunlop's latest signing, the Glasgow Warrior Nick Campbell makes his debut on the card as well. I was of the understanding that Nick is a middleweight, but it looks, unless I'm reading it arseways, which which could quite possibly be the case, it looks like he's in at heavyweight. So maybe maybe it's a case of just getting it in, getting down, getting under the lights, and getting off the mark. Or maybe I just have it all arseways. And not to forget, Nuri's Connor Wallace is in action this Saturday in Australia. Looks like this one is at light heavyweight and he is in sensational shape. Absolutely phenomenal shape. He's in with Letty Letty, I believe is the name, a 15 and 1 fighter. And it'll be another test for Connor, who's absolutely flying down in Australia. And I've have, I've been in contact with him over the last while, due to get to him. It just didn't happen. And, and such is the time difference between here and Australia. I struggled with a few of the guys. Benny Mahoney is another fellow on that car. Watch out for him. Benny's a super welter. He's at 10 and 0. And he's in with Chris George, which will be another, it'll be an interesting fight. But top of that card is a phenomenal fighter. He's a good pal of Dennis Hogan's and he's an absolute talent and a half. Heavyweight prospect, Justice Hooney. He's back this Saturday night, so watch him as he takes on Jack Morris in the main event on the Gold Coast. And a shout out and best of luck and, and big love to any Irish fighter anywhere this weekend that I may have left out. If I did, it's not intentional. You know it's not. I wouldn't do it. And if there's anybody you want me to suggest as a guest or you want to suggest or, or tell me about her achievements or anything else, absolutely give me a shout. Because, as I said, from this week on now, we're back to the philosophy, past, present and future of Irish boxing. We're going to look at all fighters of all different eras and, and talk to them on a weekly basis, regardless of who's fighting. If we can catch some, we will. And if we can't, that's OK, too, because it's what's going to stand us out, as I said, from all the rest. So shout out and big luck to all Irish boxers wherever you're at it this weekend. And last, but by no means least, I understand fight could and should be announced reasonably soon for Manny Pacquiao versus Terence Crawford. And I think we all know how. And uh, we'll just park that right there. It's not a fight I want to see. Probably not one I'll watch. It's sad to see these greats just having to go one step too far. Before I get into the memories, the reminiscing and the nostalgia and all the special memories and the celebration of a career that captured the hearts and minds of, of a boxing nation here in Ireland and Belfast and around the world at a time when boxing, I suppose, needed capturing and needed saving to some degree. The weekend's fight in Dubai, Jamel Herring versus Carl Frampton, was billed in many ways and built up in many ways. And if I'm being brutally honest, and I think you might have guessed from the from the lack of, of massive build-up or preview here, I, I, I was fearful from this one, from the jump really was and the more I tried to convince myself the more I could see the dangers and the worry and the concern and all the pitfalls that came with with a fighter of Herring's class and that's not been as Buncey would say a half the timer it's not been a Monday morning quarterback it's not I I remember very I, I tell this story very very often about not doubting Carl Frampton from that Chris Avalos fight way back when Avalos arrived in Belfast talking to talk, giving it all the big I am, talking like he was a world champion. And he talked so confidently and he made such statements that I genuinely doubted. And I ran back to the hotel, checked on, checked in and checked on the phone and everything else to see, was I missing something? Was I, why, why is this? And from that day till the Josh Warrington fight, I never doubted Carl Frampton again. Never. I believed in him. I knew what he was. He knew what he was. And we knew what he was. But I remember the week of the weigh-in with Josh Warrington and I remember seeing the two guys take their tops off and, and I remember thinking, oh shit, oh shit, we're in trouble here. He was giving away a massive amount in size in that fight and he got hurt badly in that fight and Jamal Herring was a size bigger again. 
before I get into it, as I said, all the memories and all that, let's not let's let's make this very clear, and let's give props and let's pay respect and acknowledge the true champion, the absolute champion qualities that is and are evident in everything that Jamal Simplify Herring does. Herring's story should be a book, and it could very well be a movie one day. His tours of duty into the worst battle zones of modern day warfare of Fallujah in Iraq. His absolute gut-wrenching losses of his baby daughter who he tried to resuscitate dying from SIDS. The loss of his best friend to cancer. Um, His career which looked like it was gone off the rails in 2016 by losing fights at a division that he should never have been in. When at that same time Carl Fronten was being unveiled and celebrated as the best fighter in the world. That was only in 2016. And after a heavy, heavy TKO tanking to Dennis Shakovmov, he went back to the drawing board. He didn't bitch, he didn't moan, he didn't look around to blame anybody. He looked within and he did what true champions do. He looked at himself first, went back, rearranged himself, rearranged his team, hooked up with Bomack and the rest of Terence Crawford's team. The rest, as to say, is history. He's tapped into all the expertise and knowledge and, and everything that they have got and he's brought a little bit of his own and he has looked sensational the other night. Without doubt, a career best performance. Irrelevant and regardless of what Carl was going to bring to the table the other night and I've heard the debate, I've heard the argument that the best Carl Frampton at his peak would have, could have and should have. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. I love Carl Frampton for what Carl Frampton is. And for me, the other night was a step too far. It was somebody giving advice somewhere or not giving advice somewhere. That was a seriously dangerous move when you looked at the size, when you looked at what was at stake, when you looked at the makeup, and you looked at the stage both were at in their careers. And you honestly step away from the immediate layer and step away from the narrative and look for what you see. Look for what you see. You see two fellas who were at different parts of their career and two fellas who are absolutely different weight divisions. And said all that, Carl Frampton, we love him because of what he is, because of what he's been all the way through his career. He brings it all the time, every time. And if that's not good enough, and if his best isn't good enough on the night, well, so be it. But we get it all the time. And it's the very, very first time I've seen Carl look worried, nervous, anxious in the build-up to the fight. He was cool and calm all week. He was talking well. He was talking a lot. But it was as if... I don't know what something came over him on fight night or whatever else. When the cameras went to him in that build-up, I, 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 he was feeling like I was feeling, I think, I would say. And probably more so because he was on the cold face of it. In the early in the fight, there's always a sign, there's always a tell early in these fights, whether they're big fights or small. You look for something, there will be something. It might not be always so evident, but for me, Carl looked to throw the right hand and establish dominance so he could get his foot right outside that southpaw lead foot it didn't happen it didn't happen he missed a lot of those shots and in doing so then left himself wide open to be countered and the little tell for me was the jab the jab of Jamal Herring was a ramrod it was destructive it was thrown with intent but it wasn't thrown randomly he was timing Carl from the jump Carl was pawing, 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 trying to cause a distraction, trying to cause an opening, switching levels, moving about, moving up, moving down. But he, Herring wasn't being drawn in. He wasn't being drawn in. And when he, when Carl would throw his jab, he would throw it outside of Jamal Herring's lead hand, which then left him open to the counter from Herring. 
and too often he left his head on the centre line, which was left then, of course, for Herring to ping with that big, big jab. And then changing the body then, changing the jab to the body, jab to the head, hooks were coming in, that right hook was doing an awful lot of damage. And it was just, it was worrying from the start. And very early on, Herring was using that IQ, that that superb boxing IQ and ring noose. Uh, he was tying up, nullifying and pinning Carl's left hand every time he got close or mid-range. At long range then, he's slipping inside Carl's pawing jab and, as I said, just causing causing damage each time and every time he landed his own big jabs. Uh, for a finish, it's still even even looking at it here as I did a little bit of analysis and looking, trying to put words to it. It's all about Herring, really. It's about his accuracy. It's about his timing. It's about Carl started it all, started Carl through a lacklustre right hand to the body and it was just followed up. He was neutralised, pinned, and then ultimately finished. For Jamel Herring, it was perfect. It's his, probably his most perfect, his best by a long shot. His best win against the best quality opponent. But for me as a Frampton fan, and for all the Frampton fans that are watching, it's heartbreaking. We knew this day would come. We did, reluctantly. Even if we never acknowledged it or, or admitted it to ourselves, it was... To see the timing, the precision and the power all around IQ and and just be absolutely outmatched no matter what he did. Don't let the love or the respect or the acknowledgement that's going to come and deservedly so for a career that distinguishes him from a, from a plethora of other fighters of his and every other generation. But don't let that take from Jamal Herring who is an absolute... He, he's almost... He he comes across as almost a perfect perfect human being, the way he just represents, the way he speaks, the way he just the way he is. He epitomizes champion. He epitomizes respect. He epitomizes all the things that you want your champions to value and represent. And respect to you, sir, and well done. A current a, a massive win. And I hope from here he goes and he fights Tevin Farmer or he fights Shakur Stevenson or Oscar Valdez, whoever it is. He decides. He deserves it. He's earned it. And he will absolutely, he will absolutely be in the reckoning for the next God knows how long. For the Jackal, sails off into the sunset. Where to start on this one? I had written a few bits down, but, you know, it's gone over and over and over my head. And it still seems surreal to think that we will never, ever hear hear that song, the Frampton Boys, um, so many times, so many nights, so many days when I didn't have anything. I, I literally didn't have anything. No money, not much of a social life. And the tickets had come out. I think, I want to say the very first fight I went to was the Ulster Hall. I think he boxed for the British title, a vacant title against Gavin Reed. And he, every time, this is the thing about Frampton. Every time he stepped up in those days, every time he moved up a division, all in those early rounds, he would probably and did find it difficult and struggled and oftentimes lost the early rounds. I mean, it's Kiko Martinez in that very first title fight. That was a that was a ball breaker. Uh, that was in the melting pot all the way until he just pulled that finish out. Um, I remember the the very first fight that there was a feel to it, an air to it that. He could be in trouble here. He's in deep. 
was against the Canadian, Steve Molitor, who was a former champion in his own right, a, a, a massive, massive opponent. He brought all the credentials that you would need and, and all everything that he had to test, you would have thought. But he absolutely clinically beat him up. All, Carol Frampton all manned the old man that night. And that was the night. That was the night that I, I realised and I knew we had, a, we had a very special journey on our hands. And when I say we... This is going to sound a little bit simple, a little silly, maybe a little bit, not a little bit fantasy. I, I don't know what the word is, but I always felt, and I know from speaking to fans at fights, and people felt part of of the journey. They felt like they had contributed. They felt like they they, they were part of Carl Frampton's army, and that when Carl Frampton needed his backup and needed the help, and he needed the the support and the love and the push from his extra arm well it came in waves it came in waves and and there's so many stories I've got I, every day I've been thinking of new stories and new memories and new new events and things that happened but I remember going to Belfast I was a little bit intrepid I was a little bit nervous I was more than a little bit nervous and I can say from that day till this I've never seen even a row in a pub <laughs> maybe I was lucky maybe I don't know but there, there's there's a couple of different stories I could tell. One, of course, was that I tell you often. Going to the Scott Quigg fight, couldn't get tickets. I felt disgusted, disgruntled, broken-hearted. Here comes the biggest fight of his career. Been to all of them, can't get a goddamn ticket. What am I going to do? Looks like I'm going to miss it. And then a light bulb moment. I saw Scotty Quigg on Sky Sky Sports, talking about the tickets, talking about the fight, selling them, and how Frampton's had sold out. His were still on sale, available from the chip shop. And if anybody wanted them. And I got on the phone to my cousin. He in turn got on the phone. The two of us contrived, conspired. And we that evening had four tickets for the fight in the Scott Quigg area uh, that he had bought from the chip shop in Bury himself. And uh, what a night that turned out to be. What a night. What an atmosphere as the two fighters stood on the ramp. Oh my goodness. I'm getting I'm getting chicken skin here just, just remembering it. And there were... <coughs> It was those nights, it was those nights that forged that bond, that connection, that relationship, that special connection between Carl Frampton and his fans. And that's, it's not nice, it's it's uncomfortable, if that's the word. It's uncomfortable to think that those nights are done, deservedly so. The wee man owes us nothing, nothing. He gave back in entertainment, in spades. Um, another one that comes to mind was that the fight and uh, in Titanic quarter on the slipway and I've never been so nervous so anxious so I had a feeling I had that feeling of reassurance that he was going to win it but we knew what Kiko was going to bring but let me tell you all of that was tempered by absolute goddamn freezing cold the wind that came across the lock that night was absolutely numbing. And I know, I'm not kidding, I'm not exaggerating. It was absolutely blue, what they call it. Blue, Baltic. And I remember going to the fight, and I remember, no shame in admitting it, I didn't have, an, I barely had a penny left to my name. I had bought the tickets, got the hotel, got there. Hadn't got a whole lot of money, so generally don't drink much at fights. I like to go and watch them, I like to enjoy them. And this one was different. This one was different. A big, 
sports bottle of water was bought. I think it was a might have been a two litre bottle of water, and I put a sports drink lid on it. I think, and I, <laughs> of course, the water didn't come. I bought Budweiser to the hilt, and it was a it was a calculated risk because the way I was looking at it, was, look, I'm either going to drink or I'm not. So I was able to buy them in the off license for little or nothing, and if I was caught and searched on the way in. I was just going to hand it over. I was never going to argue. I was going to make a joke. I was going to laugh. I was going to be lighthearted about it. And if I got it in, it was quids in. I was drinking for the night. And I put the bottle, not in the usual, down the jocks or anywhere else. I put it at the back of my jeans. Down between the jeans and my jacket. Pulled the jacket down over it. So it was just above the top of my arse. And I walked in and got searched, frisked the whole lot. And as I took them a few steps away from the security guard, I remember thinking to myself, man, we are going to dance tonight. And dance I did. All the way into the seats. Walked up these steep seats. Uh, steep row of seat, uh, steps. And as I approached my seat. And took the bottle out of my, my waistband. There was a big fella standing in front of me. With a big shaved bullet of a head on him. And he was he was in the thick of it. He was steaming. He'd been out all day. And in typical Belfast style. As I walked to the seat. Pulling the drink out of my, uh, my waistband. He lets a roar. What about you big man? What about you? No. He was being sarcastic because he would have been twice the size of me standing on the ground. He was standing about two feet above me on a seat. And I looked and I laughed nervously. And he says, what have you got there, eh? And uh, he says, here, do you want a drink? And I threw it to him. So he took a big swig out and he says, see ye, Frompton wins tonight, we're getting fucked. If Frompton loses tonight, we're getting fucked too. That was the start of it. And I'm no qualms in admitting I've got a deep, deep, heavy heart lump in my throat. Uh, even listening to this and remembering the stories. But they're stories, I believe, that will be told forever. And memories that will be told forever. Because there's there's a story for every fight. There's a fight for every story. There's probably ten stories for every fight. And that man did things in and out of the ring that go far and beyond boxing. I said about a few fighters, it's not all of them. Sometimes you just get an inkling, a feeling that their calling goes way beyond boxing. And for me, without a doubt, Carfronton is one of those. So I just love to personally extend my thank you, my gratitude, my heartfelt thank you. At a time in my life when, and I'm getting, you'll hear, you'll hear. At a time in my life when there wasn't a whole lot happening, when there wasn't, a whole lot of options or a whole lot of um, I wasn't able to do a whole lot more I can tell you this much that from fight to fight I lived for the announcements I waited for the announcements I absolutely I, it was all I could think of and for that Carl Frampton and, and everybody that played a part in it but particularly him he was the leader of the, he was our conductor and we were his orchestra enjoy your retirement you've earned it more than most and thank you from the bottom of my heart. But I know it means even more than the bounce. The travelling support is unbelievable. Unbelievable. This, this isn't Manchester, is it? Seems like Belfast. Everywhere we go. Everywhere we go. It's the third place. Making all the noise. Everywhere we go. Now as I build up to our guest, the voice you hear in the background, phenomenal, 
matinee singer. His name is Dan McCabe. Myself and Luke chatted at great length, different about the songs and, and the effect of the, the walk-in music and everything else. And I know himself and Gary Cully are best mates and they have a, <laughs> a pact they made years ago. And that pact is going to come through, no doubt about it. Now, I did endeavour to get in touch with Dan, reached out to him, sent a couple of messages. He's not one for social media, I believe. So I genuinely hope he doesn't mind me using this as the lead-in for, for Luke Keeler. But uh, I think it's fitting. I think it's fitting. The link for all the Dan stuff, for CDs, for contact and everything else, you'll find it down below in the show notes today. Oh, goosebumps. Unbelievable indeed. Um, on an unforgettable night in Falls Park, Belfast, in 2019, Dublin middleweight Luke Keeler blasted a highly rated and highly fancied American Louis Arias out of the way to earn that shot at the golden ticket. It was at that time, of course, the WBO world middleweight motormouth Demetrius Bubuj Andrade. And I think, if I'm being honest, and a feeling I had then, and I've even more so now, he's not everybody's cup of tea, he's certainly not mine. But I don't believe Bubu Andrade gets the credit or the props that he deserves. He's a he's a he's a very he's a very efficient champion. He's a he, he's he's got a style or, or a lack of that's 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 tricky and dangerous and 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 makes him a handful at best for all comers. See what Liam William does with him. It's going to be it's going to be a, that'll be a fight. Williams will certainly bring it, but. Andrade is just a he's an awkward and messy and tough opponent and a good fighter at the back of it all as well but Luke Keeler's career has brought him Irish titles it's brought him Celtic titles it's brought him WBA European straps it's brought him European and world rankings and after that night he was certain to have an opportunity to fight for the biggest prize in the game the career started many years previously from that and a long long way from a huge sellout crowd at Falls Park and under the lights around the world in the fantastic arenas that he's lit up as an 8 year old in St Matthew's Boxing Club in Ballyfermot Luke is my guest here on this one and, and it was one that I've been meaning to do and the two of us were meant to chat on numerous different occasions but I can tell you this much there hasn't been a more genuine or more sincere fella that I've spoken to since I started this podcast and I know I say that a lot and all that but I genuinely mean it Sound quality is a little bit off here because Luke was in the... I think he was in the Jeep. He was on the way back. He was under pressure for time. He was getting a few bits done, getting a big project done. And, and I was in the process of moving from, from the one place to the other studio-wise. So did my best with it. I think you're going to enjoy this. I know you're going to enjoy this. He's one of Dublin's finest and he's one of Ireland's finest. You're a Ballyer boy. What part of Ballyfermot? Yeah, I'm just saying, I'm At some stage, playing a bit of football on the green. Yeah, no, he was seven or eight. You put them on and you. Was it just something that you were drawn to? Was there someone you were watching at the time? Or was it just a case of getting you in to keep you out of trouble? Or what was the... So 
was kind of inevitable from those early days once and, and you, you got the bug pretty early on. When did it go from just being something that Luke Keeler did to being okay, this is I'm pretty good at this, this is coming fairly good not I won't say naturally to me, but I I'm enjoying this, I'm picking it up and it's 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 taking it to another level. You know what? I never really put the full focus into it until I, like I went there full time with P three years ago, like I I always said, like, I went to college there, and there I was focused, I was on my the guild, and I was always, I went to Bowl Street for four years, and I did way from Saint there, but it was always something that I did, but never, never kind of committed fully there, it was only, it was only literally when I got to say 40 that, it was actually what I did, like, Jesus. it get me, some guys committed a lot quicker, and I see one of them, I was always kind of in and out, I worked full time for it, Eight or nine years, and uh, the time I won the Irish title uh, against Ben Cruz, I was working full time as an engineer, and, and it was a bad performance. And I kind of said to myself, I'm either retiring or, or going full time. I got surgery on my shoulder then as well, uh, and I said to myself, Look, I'm, I'm fucking wasting my time building hard in my job and boxing. So I went, I went full time then. And, so it wasn't until it was actually told you that I actually said this is what I'm doing, like I'm committed. You came through that senior setup. You boxed for Ireland, you boxed, you know, but you weren't. And it's 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 my personal opinion that this, the middleweights when you were there were probably the best we've ever produced out of this country at a, at a particular time. In hindsight, yeah, I suppose, with, with the success afterwards, with the lads and what you're doing about it. And the time, yeah, well, I, I was seeing a couple of times where uh, Jason Quigley was obviously very high level. Naming okay, Jay Quigley. I think Roy Sheen was just about. He might have moved up a little bit in weight. Conrad. That's where the rivalry began, I believe. If you'd have put the focus and switched firmly to it, that you might have had a little bit more, or is it too hard to say? Kenny Egan a while ago was he was telling me when he goes into the he does a lot of talks with the lads the cadets and that when they come into the unit first and they're all starry eyed and of course they should be because it's it's a big deal 
But one of the first things he says to them is, what's your plan when this is all finished? And and they're looking at him. It's our first day here. What are you talking about? And and you don't think about it. And is that something, I suppose, that you found naturally that you, you, you focused on your plan? I won't say it's a plan B because it was the only plan you had at the time. But you got your career, you got your qualifications. Was that something you picked up as a younger kid or what way did it happen? Well, it's not to be clear. It's kind of general into me to get a, a, a college education. But yeah, to be honest, I just well skilled, well in the leading shape. I just wanted to get involved in building the Navy and just work for it. It's kind of work with me and uh, really uh, like guide me in that direction. So I kind of went along to my degree Looking at it, I suppose the bigger picture, middleweights and the fellas around that way tend to really only come into their own at this age and at that particular time. So you've had the, you've had the. I want it's certainly not a luxury. You you are now in the position where you've got your career behind, you've got your backing, you've got all the looks in a row, and your career then is now in a position where it's, it's as we said, it's, there's no small fights from here on. And anytime the next time Luke Keeler makes the walk, it's going to be, it's going to be a big one. It was, uh, it was a mention of, like, say, three or four names going up for Mungia, and I was mentioned with Quigley, yeah, so that is. And the other benefit, I said it a couple of times, uh, when you go through that white like, performance, the Eastern European camps, the tournaments, and the tag burn, it does that void it, yeah. yeah. I mean, it was, because the very next point I had on it as good as a level it is and as good as a an induction and a, and a pre- preparation it is there's a there's a fine line and there's a danger of a fella staying in it too long there's so many differences between the pro game and the amateur game that if you do stay in it a little bit too long we'll see fellas like Paddy Barnes who did just it's just one stretch one cycle too many and it's hard to explain to people that don't like people that just watch fights now and then anything short of a million percent respect and admiration for any fella or girl that makes that walk because it's until they've done it until they've tasted it until they've seen everything and it's not just the fight it's, the fight's the I won't say the fight's the easy part but sometimes the shit they have to do just to get into the ring people have no idea none and, and you could talk to your blue in the face explaining it but I suppose if I was to say 
wrap, top that one up as best I could would be say I'd rather see a fella go earlier than too late. I'd rather see like Gary Cully did, not maybe not focus on the Olympics and look at the endeavor, look at the freshness, look at the hunger, everything he has. Then I believe if Davy Oliver, not to take that from his amateur achievements, he he's one of the fellas I love watching the most in the in the best, but. If he had gone maybe a little bit earlier, I think we would have seen a different fight against Lee Wood. It's all ifs, buts and ands, but um, I think you're right. It does It does have its costs. It does take its toll, you know. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And and they put the building blocks in place for the fellas and the girls that are there right now because without them doing what they were doing then, they wouldn't have that unit there at the moment, you know. So it's in fairness to them. For your own point of view, turning pro... It sounds like for a few years it was a fucking more of a hassle than anything else. It was like because you were you were half in, half out. You're selling tickets when you until you, I suppose, jumped at it full time. What was there an element of that that it was? Jesus, do I really need this? It was a bit of everything. Yeah, it was a bit of a, it was a bit of a jump. It was a bit of a Senin, Senin's a smashing fella I chatted to him a few times a bit of fine power as well he's got a little bit of everything in him and there's times to think about it and I'd say if, if you have if you have a little bit about you and you've kept yourself doing ticking over and you make a calculated risk and you look at it and you come in in the away corner like Eric Donovan did yeah the loss is hard to stomach and it's 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 tough and it's a but the bigger picture I don't even know is it fair to say but it's it's definitely worth taking the risk when you see what's at the end of it then again Lennon is kind of caught between two rocks isn't he he hasn't had the massive experience at a, at a domestic level but he definitely has I agree with you I think he has the talent and the ability I think it's if he got a chance somewhere along the line there's a lot of talk going on but by and large it's really an expensive pastime at that stage because they're selling tickets to do everything and, and it's terrible to say I hate saying that but that's it really is the way Predatorly eating Jamie Conlon and them and MTK, what they're doing, I know they're taking a lot of flack. That's 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 one side of it, but the other side is their fighters are moving at the rate that no one else. They're climbing, they're matching them aggressively, they're fighting big fights, and they're all getting paid, which is which is something that most boxers don't get. From your point of view, when you did switch over, you went into a scene. Top of the pile was Golovkin was the man setting the trays and there was nothing around him. But was that someday you take that fight? It must have seemed a million miles away at that stage. Yeah, no, it was always in the 
back into what you said about that amateur scenario the amateur career I mean his was pretty much textbook and and look at the mileage now not a massive amount of pro fights but a lot of miles on that clock you know that time you came in you started with the Celtic Warriors you were out there and then what a camp you had I'm after talking to maybe nearly all those lads yourself Spike Ormond there was some bunch was Buglioni there at one stage as well Buglioni and Grace better man the little dig the body shots <laughs> Tim's here. he's intimidating he's scary looking he's frightening but what a fucking man there's a real fella like, I mean you couldn't ask to meet nicer Armin tough men but all real you know what I mean there's no messing with him there's no bullshit or no what did Stephen Armin tell me he hates prima donnas <laughs> No, no. But we made, I made that point with him as well and he said to say like it was almost like Irish fighters were being away fighters on their home car at times like they were brought in at the last minute and they were never given that same yeah, yeah they were never the A so it was he like it kind of and you look at the difference it makes now to the legs of Gary to the legs of people like that who are look, the leaps and bounds they're making and, and, and this fight against Kachigov as well is going to I think it's going to Another step up that I mean I watched his film last week, the one the preparation for the Joe Fitzpatrick. It's it's almost eerie where he predicts just before I, I know it's well edited and all that, but he kinda it's as if he's just half asleep and he says, I'm just I'm kinda seeing an early stoppage here and you're thinking, Holy shit. Yeah, yeah, look it's it's it's, it's, it's a special talent, uh, genetic and uh, and he switched on as I said, he's uh, he's got the hands over in the gym and uh, yeah no I think you're right I think you're right I think it's um it's a, it's a coming out it's well look the last one was a coming out fight. I mean you go in an Irish title with such pressure it was li- it was almost bigger than an Irish title it seemed bigger not to, not to play that down but the, the hype and everything that was around it but um, there's never an easy way to talk. I suppose there came a point in your career where your change where the change came you, you decided to make it and it comes in, in whether you're a boxer and people forget this whether you're a boxer whether you're a builder, whether you're a painter, whether you're working in an office, if if it's any, if it's in the city street, people change jobs, they move environment, it's no big deal. With yourself, you switched, I suppose it was because you were there from the early days. Was it a big change? Was it hard to make? Yeah, it was a big change. Uh, I think 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 it
Speaking to Spike, actually, I don't know if I mentioned it when I was text, but he, he mentioned it. He told me without doubt to pass on his best wishes to you. Another special character in Irish boxing, isn't he? He's great. He's a huge puncher, Spike. He should always be that little boy. You know, those talents character he's like and this is something that i just said to and, and it's a point I'm, I'm, I'm guessing that it's going to it's similar to yourself that as much as the younger lads in the gym learn from spike and take from spike and from from like i know you might be age-wise you'd be a little bit older than the lads the tyrones and that but safe to say when you went to pete you would have learned as much off those younger lads because they are they've come through a, another sign of a system so it's it's very much a, a learning environment isn't it yeah we all bounce off each other was the two fights with Conrad that was like uh, and then the one of course for me and, and I don't know if you know, I hope you don't mind me saying this for me your performance against Arias was like was probably the best Luke Healer we've ever seen so far and I think it was it was a case of it made a lot of people sit up and say Jesus and I thought it saw I hope I'm not offending in any way but I did but I think it, we saw a little bit of we saw the best of you and we saw Pete, to me, is a is a technical coach. It's about movement. It's about the little deft things that people don't see. It's about the footwork. It's about the drills, the stuff, the angles, and I think all that came together in the the two the second fight against uh, Conrad when it was there a couple of times. But you just had that extra gear to slip into to get out. You didn't have to get into the war. And then against Arias was just incredible. So, are there points then that you can build on rather than and take the positives from the? I don't even want to look. The loss is a loss, but. There, there's still an awful lot more in the tank, I think is what I'm trying to say. That's 
That's more than the fair. Oh, yeah, I hope so. It'll be just being so analog based where, or at least back here, the fans will have the experience of being involved in a world toy of soy with a little people will say about other they can say he was too good he was this he was that but many people need to look back and think how many Irish fighters have had a middleweight world title fight since Steve Collins I don't has it's that weight division that's where all the action was and it was dominated and it's easy to look at it now to me I was giving you a good good chance going into that fight I knew you were going to have to be at the best it all goes out the fucking window if we're being honest with that first shot lands it's it's many lads we've seen fold with less and and I think what became obvious that night I know you don't want to be remembered for that fight but I think what but to your credit is the, the fight in Irish was, was absolutely fucking alive and well that night because there's times you question, you look and you say, I don't mean to insult anyone, is that fight in Irish thing, is it dead, is it gone, like it's okay when, but man, I mean, to dig in that night, probably a silly question after that first 30, 40 seconds, how hurt were you after that when you, because it's, it's a classic example of, of making the most of the count, you really did, you, you, you found your, you seemed to be doing all you could and everything, were you hurt? <laughs> He's not getting the credit he deserved. People, people don't like him. That's fine. You don't have to like him. But there's a difference. He's smothering himself. He's he's throwing the shots. He's landing them, and then he's doing it, and he's following them in, and he's all over. So you're not getting a chance. Yeah, 
Yeah, no, without a doubt. And and I suppose the bigger side of that afterwards was, I mean, and it's interesting in the few weeks that we've seen it before Christmas and after Christmas, there's everybody wants to question either the fight's not stopped soon enough, the fight stopped too soon. Everybody's fucking, no one's happy ever. But I mean, fighters will always go out in their shield and, and knew that. And I mean, you, you, yeah, there's no such thing as a good loss. But man, you, you absolutely, you went, to, you went out in your shield and that's all anyone could ever ask for a fella when you get to that top level. And uh, there's no doubt you'll have learned. The build-up to those fights, how much more intense are they, Luke? Like, yeah, the kind of interview that they care, you're getting dragged to me. There's sort of a tapping the face for the week in the lead-up. Happy a bit more draining. I didn't try to get more. I tried to stay focused and conserve energy with those. But with the world, that, like, I don't have any excuses about the build-up or I think that's that's the best thing. That's that's I would say you're hundred percent right. That you're not proving anyone. It's not about that anymore. You don't get to that level by proving anyone right. Proving yourself right now is what and and. Look, no matter what anyone does, there's still people who want to criticise, no matter what you do. So it, it goes beyond all that, but it's to build on the experience. Now, I would say the recovery after that was more mental, I'd say, than physical. How does that process start? It's a, it's a tough one. Uh, I, I, kind of, I had a couple of good years in the build-up, but the mental was building. sense and you know what i watched the documentary only not last night the night before and uh boxing if, if you're geeky about what if you love your boxing you love there's some people you can't explain anything to i always say this you either get it or you don't and i watched it only only two nights ago the documentary on amazon about um joe calzaghi have you seen that one yet oh mate it's it's um mr calzaghi it's called and it's it's everything you've said there and people will laugh and say oh joe calzaghi sure he's he's this he's that all those concerns and all those worries and all those wor- 
he had every single one of them going into every single and you're looking thinking how even now like and you look at it and it was just it's an boxing is an emotional it's an emotional game and, and, and people don't get that most of the time so I, I hear exactly what you're saying yeah, well, Those last four fights that he had, yeah, right yeah, all the way through, he was. fighters of that era as well coming from the European side going across to America they never got the props they deserved Lennox was the same he almost had to give he almost had to half die before they but you're 100% right that Jeff Lacey fight was the coming out and, and the last four then I mean he went and he boxed um, Roy Jones Jr he boxed Bernard Hopkins and he beat them all and he didn't just beat them he beat them up made, made fools of them and cemented his legacy but every step of the way he had those same doubts and for him, I suppose, and I don't know if you can attest to this, and I, I don't want to keep you too much longer, is there's a point in every camp, isn't there, where the switch goes. And the sooner the switch goes, the better for the fighter. But with him, it seemed to go at the last minute. Is is that something you find, that the, the, the belief, everything just clicks into place and you become single-minded? Yeah. I think the best way and and to, to, to draw a line and to wrap it is is uh there are the times where you really find the value and the val and the worth how important the the trainers the corner the team your close circle are around you and you you've had those all, every step whatever whether it's been amateur whether it's been pro you've got you've got your brother beside you all the way as well but probably at times it's, it's not easy either but when when shit's going sideways and when things aren't working out how important is that and you know that everyone is on side You see, but again, and, and what you're saying as well, it feeds to it. It's of all the sports and at all elite level sports, they're all a, there's the it's the margins. But I think in boxing, you're battling every instinct in the body to fucking don't do this, don't go in there. There's a lot going to do this, and 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 you're going in with one hand against the lad. That, right, don't do it. But you're still going to override all that. You know, it, it's it's. Yeah. 
It's an emotional roller coaster. Nobody could have anything but love and admiration for the way you represent it. You never sink to the levels that some go to. You managed to keep that bit of pride, that bit of dignity, and you kept your head up, and you didn't go into the, into the gutter with it. But how special and how important when you go back to your club and you go back to a place like where it all began? And, and I looked at the pictures earlier on, and I just thought, you know what? That's what makes this game so fucking amazing. You see you in the ring with the kids in St. Matthews. And how special is that? How, how, how important are they at every step of your journey? Yeah, it's really special. That's, 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 they're the moments that you look back on and that really enjoy, you know, like wherever they were. They're the little moments they've done that make it I want to thank Luke for taking time that day to chat with me. He was he was racing around. He was getting supplies and stocks for the fellas and trying to get a project finished that would really had to be finished and, and I'm sure it is by now because like in his boxing career and like anything he puts his mind to, the man gets it done. It was an absolute pleasure to chat with him. It was an absolute pleasure to have you listen to this episode today. It's been a little bit of everything, hasn't it? It's a bit emotional. It's a bit exciting. Giving a big shout out ahead to the weekend to a man who's fast becoming my favourite fighter. It's Joe Smith Jr., the Irish bomber. Bring home the goods, mate. That's it for me and them until then. Until next week's episode, where I stay safe, stay sane, smile. All's well that ends well.